Today we're going to just start a really a really brief series, just a few weeks, um, in kind of this transition period that we have at the moment. And as I was thinking about it, um, we've been uh, going through First Corinthians, as you know, on um, Wednesday nights, and not too long ago we talked about the famous love chapter, and um, and he gives the three Christian virtues, faith, hope, and love. And so I thought over the next three weeks we would take um, some concentrated time to focus on each of those great things that Paul says will last forever. And so I'm looking forward to sharing that. And today in particular, we're going to be talking about faith. We're going to be talking about faith. Before we get started, let me pray for us one more time. Uh, King Jesus, we gather today to worship you, to worship your holy name. It is a privilege, God, to worship you. It is a privilege, God, to know you, undeserving though we are. It is a privilege, God, to serve you, um, to be part of the household of God. And so, Lord, I pray that you would help us today as we once again gather to to sing your praise, to uh, to give you a sacrifice of praise, to to worship you now, God, through the hearing of your word. I pray that your Holy Spirit would take the truth of Scripture and just impress it deeply upon our hearts that we would be people of faith. That it would permeate and saturate all of our lives like the great saints of old. That we, in our day, may exercise faith in you to see you do what only you can do. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. So yeah, 1 Corinthians 13. If you have a Bible, I invite you to turn there. He says that these great virtues of faith, hope, and love are going to abide forever. And if we want anything to characterize us as followers of Jesus Christ, certainly it must be these three things. Faith, hope, and love. And today we're going to be talking about the wonderful virtue of faith of faith. So if you're able and willing, I invite you to stand in honor of the reading of God's Word. We're just going to read one verse this morning, 1 Corinthians 13, verse 13. Verse 13 says, So now, faith, hope, and love abide, these three, but the greatest of these is love. The Word of God. You may be seated. Okay, so we're talking about these three great Christian virtues. We're talking about these things that the Apostle Paul says is going to last forever. We're going to look at faith this morning under three questions, asking three questions. Number one, what is faith? Number two, what does faith do? And number three, what does faith profit? Okay, so what is faith, what does faith do, and what does faith profit? So the first question we're going to ask is, what is faith? So we, we, we've talked about this before, but it's just... It's good to rehash and it's good to think about what faith is because lots of people say they have faith. Um, lots of people will say something like, I'm a spiritual person. But what does that mean? And what does the Bible mean when it talks about faith, especially when it, the Bible connects faith with salvation? So when it comes to the state of your eternity, that's something that you don't really want to be fuzzy about. All right? You want that to be crystal clear, what we're talking about. We have an intuitive sense of what we think faith is, um, although I think there's lots of confusion, and 
we don't want unwittingly to end up with an anemic faith or bring confusion rather than clarity. Okay, so if we're honest, right, a popular conception of faith today as it's presented is an ignorant or unreasonable commitment. All right. Sometimes we say things like, well, you just got to have faith. But sometimes the way that's presented is it's interpreted as believing something against overwhelming evidence. And that's how a lot of people think what think that's what faith is. And so it just seems unreasonable. Okay, and it seems kind of uh, ridiculous to some people, in fact. Um, we, might, we might call that blind faith. And some people think that that's what, in fact, Christianity is. That, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a crutch, it's a leap in the dark, okay? It's, um, it's unreasonable commitment to uh, ancient myths or make-believe. And people are entitled to their opinion, and that's fine. But my question is, when the Bible, because that's what we're concerned about, when the Bible enjoins us to faith, what is it actually commanding us to do? When Jesus said, repent and believe the gospel, what is he commanding us to do? What does that actually mean? <laughs> so, so is it, is, it, is it to be unreasonable? Is that what Jesus is asking us to do, act unreasonably? Is he, acting us, is he asking us to act against all evidence? Is that what faith is? Is that what Jesus is asking us to do when he says that you must believe in me? I don't think, I think the, answer, the answer to that is clearly no. And so to get to what the Bible means about faith, we have to look in the Scripture. Our brother uh, read this passage just, just not too long ago uh, in Genesis 15. Okay? Uh, 3 through 6, this is what it says. It says, And Abram said, so this is God talking to, this is Abraham talking to God. He says, Behold, you've given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. This man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, look toward heaven and number the stars if you're able to number them. Then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. And he believed the Lord. And it was counted to him as righteousness. He believed the Lord, and it was counted to him as righteous. So what's going on here, right? Abraham is speaking with God. So this is what's so important. When, the, when we talk about what does the Bible mean about faith, God is not, for lots of people, God is just this abstract entity, this philosophical idea. But for Abraham, God is a personal being that he has a relationship with. It's two completely different conceptions of God. God has talked to him. He has talked to God. There is a relationship between them, and God is telling him what he needs to do. So it's not an abstract idea. It's not a philosophical concept. It's, a, it's, a, it's interaction with a personal being. God, the Lord, Yahweh, creator of heaven and earth, does as he pleases and can do anything he wants to do. And this God chose Abraham... And he made him a promise to give him a land and to give him descendants as the stars of the heaven and the sand of the sea. And so Abraham hears what God is telling him. And the Bible says that he believed God. We can say that Abraham had faith in God. Now, what was that? What was that faith? It was very simply. It was trust that God was both willing and able to do what he said he was going to do. In other words, he trusted God. He trusted God. 
So what does it mean, right? It means biblical faith then isn't intellectual assent to some idea, right? If I ask somebody, do you believe in God? Well, they may say yes or no. I, I do believe in God or I don't believe in God. But, but nine times out of ten, or maybe ten times out of ten, when they say that, what they are saying is, is I believe or don't believe that some kind of higher being exists. That's what they're saying, right? I believe or don't believe that some higher being exists. It's just an acceptance of an idea, but just to be clear, when the Bible says believe in Jesus, that's not what it's saying. And we know that for a fact, because James says that the demons have correct theology about God. Let me tell you, there's not going to be a single demon in heaven. So the demons believe in God, but that doesn't mean they're saved. So believe the faith that the Bible enjoins us to, the faith that we're called to exercise in Jesus Christ isn't just some vague belief in an abstract idea that, that a person named Jesus happened to live one uh, a time 2,000 years ago. And they did some interesting things. That's not biblical faith. So, so the question is, so what is this faith that we're talking about? Is it blind? And, and the answer is no, because we all intuitively know this. When To trust in a trustworthy person is not unreasonable. In fact, it's actually perfectly reasonable, right? It's not blind faith. It's not, it's not contrary to evidence, right? If a person has said that they're always going to be there for you, and they always were, then it's not unreasonable to think that they're going to be there for you in the future. Because you're exercising trust in a trustworthy person. Abraham looked at the stars, looked at the stars as a, as a, the Bible calls him as good as dead. <laughs> All right. So he looked at the stars as of, of age as good as dead. I mean, look, we country folk, you can look up the stars at night. It's shocking. It's stunning. It's unbelievable. And Abraham looked up at the stars, the same stars we look at today, by the way. And he looked up the stars and God said, look, so shall your offspring be. And as Abraham was looking at those stars in his heart, he said, he's telling the truth. That's my children up there. And he believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. So as so as crazy as it is for a hundred year old man. To look up at the stars and say, that's how many children I'm going to have when I don't have a single child right now. As crazy as that sounds, the truth is, Abraham wasn't being crazy. In fact, consider that, consider this. How crazy would it be to not trust God? The God who cannot lie. If a God created the universe, he can make a hundred year old man have a baby. It's not really that hard. It's not really that hard. He can do it. Right? He can make this, this old couple have a child. Why? Because he's God. So, in other words, it was faith. It was faith. It wasn't crazy. It was trust in a trustworthy person. Noah built this big, massive boat, probably not by a big body of water that there's no way he could possibly move. And it's like, well, you just wasted 100 years of your life. Unless a worldwide flood comes. 
And he believed God and saved the world, saved humanity. Was Abraham was was Noah insane? Well, probably everyone else thought he was. Crazy old Noah building that big old boat. Out in the middle of nowhere. But he wasn't crazy because he took God at his word. How crazy would you have to be to not take God at his word? Joshua walked around the wall of Israel seven times. He wasn't going loopy. He was being perfectly reasonable because the Bible says the battle belongs to the Lord. So while biblical faith at times may look crazy, it is actually the height of being reasonable. In fact, from the biblical perspective, the Bible says, right, that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The fool says in his heart, there is no God. So unreasonableness is not believing in the Lord. That is foolishness, according to the Bible. And so notice here that faith, again, another way to put this is that faith isn't transactional, it's relational. It's not just it's not just a assent to some belief. It's not just a box that we can check. Okay, it's a relationship with God. It's knowing God and God knowing you. And so another kind of aspect of that, right, is that if faith again, since it's trust, since it's trust, a relational type of trust in a being in a personal being, right, then it's not merely just transactional. It's not merely, for example, just doing religious things. You know, uh, there's lots of Christian things that Christians do that Christians should do. Go to church, read our Bible, pray, fellowship with one another, encourage one another, exhort one another, strengthen one another. All these good spiritual disciplines that Christians should do. But guess what? Doing all those things doesn't necessarily make you a Christian. It just doesn't. Because the question is, so like going to church, right? You know, going to, going to, going to church doesn't make a, you a Christian any more than going to Waffle House makes you a waffle, right? I literally just made that up. Um, so hold on, I'm throwing myself off, y'all. Hold on. I'm waffling. That's right. What's the point, right? When we come to church, right? Anybody can walk in a building, right? Anybody can do that. But when we, but do we come to church? Do we meet God? Does God speak to our hearts? And do we offer up genuine praise to Him? That's a Christian, right? Because there's a relationship with God. Anybody can walk in a building. So it's not doing religious things, as it were, although that's not bad. It's saying, it's saying, is, is it knowing a personal being, right? And th- this really is the crux of it. This is the crux of it. Because Jesus Himself said that there would be people who would do even miraculous things in Jesus' name. And when Jesus came back, he would say, I never knew you. Because it's not about what you do, it's about who you know. Do you know Jesus? If you were walking down the street and you bumped a guy on the shoulder, and he looked up at you, and it was Jesus, would he say, hey, I was just thinking about you. Remember that conversation we had yesterday? Or would he say, oh, excuse me, I'm sorry, I don't know you. 
Do you know Jesus? Does he know you? Do you have a relationship with him? Right? When we get to the gate of heaven, is Jesus going to look at you and say, we go way back. I carried that joker through a lot of mess. Or is he going to say, I don't, I don't know them. It's about who you know. That is faith. It's trust in a trustworthy person. It's trusting in a trustworthy personal God. So then question number one, what is faith? The next question we want to look at is what does faith do? What does faith do? And the first answer that I want to give to that question is that faith works. Is that faith works. Ephesians 2, 8 uh, through 10. Paul says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So, again, as we've talked about before, we talked about a lot in Titus, right? Paul is massively concerned that people understand that salvation is a gift of God. It's a gift. It cannot be earned. It cannot be deserved. It can only be received. Because nobody can earn it or deserve it. And it's a gift that Paul says is, is received by faith. So this, this, I think, gives a, really a lot of insight into the nature of faith. Faith, for Paul... Faith is the opposite of work. Faith is kind of like the anti-work. Faith works. Work says, if I'm good enough, God will save me. Faith says, God is so good that he's going to save me. One is looking to one's own efforts and abilities. And the other, faith, faith is a complete and whole utter despair of oneself and a whole turning away from self to the sheer mercy and grace of God. So faith is the opposite of work. It's the anti-work. It's completely giving up on one's own ability and looking wholly to Christ to do everything for us as he has done. It's casting ourselves wholly and 100% on the mercy of God. That is faith. In Paul's mind, since grace is the basis of salvation... And since salvation must be built upon grace, that, that's it's undeserved, right? Then you can't do anything to earn it. So then how do you receive it? Then it's that the only way is faith because faith is the only thing that's not doing anything. It's looking to somebody. It's the only thing that renounces anything in oneself and looks wholly to God for undeserved mercy. Salvation for Paul cannot be a result of works because then that would warrant boasting. Hey, I did it. I went to church 27 times this year. One more than half. I'm getting in, baby. It's boasting. It's bo- if we if 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 it was based on works, then we would be so we'd be able to say I was better than that person. I did it and they didn't. That's not going to happen. Is by faith, because no one deserves it and no one can't earn it. Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Okay? So we are saved by the sheer grace of God, not anything we do or could do. 
But then there is a critical issue concerning the relationship of faith and works, and that is in verse 10 of Ephesians 2. He says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in him. So it's interesting, right? Because it has nothing to do with our work, but but Paul is saying that when we are in Christ, by grace, through faith, are saved, then we become God's work. You see that? So it's not about our work, but by grace, through faith, we are saved. And in that salvation, we become God's work. We are God's workmanship. And I think that this is a, this is a nod to creation, right? When God created man originally, he created man to love and serve and trust him from the heart and to be obedient as, as an act of faith, as trusting God, right? Why did God say don't eat of the tree? Is that just a totally random arbitrary command well he's he's putting the tree there to show them that hey i've given you the whole world but you got to trust me you can do everything but this one thing because you got to trust me but of course they fell but when christ has come now that christ has come christ has come back to remake us from the fall back into the people that we were made to be and so we are reworked recreated Back into the image of God. We are God's workmanship through Christ Jesus. Created, he says, for good works. So if you are in Christ, if God's grace through faith has come upon you in saving grace, you are a new creature. That's what the Bible says. That's what the Bible says. That's why, without exception, if we are a, if we are a genuine Christian... Right? We don't, we don't do what we used to do. God changes us. It may be painfully slow, but He changes us. He changes us. Not, He doesn't save us because we change, He changes us because we're saved. As a new creature, a new creature in Christ, you gladly and joyfully do works of faith, love, and obedience. We are remade by God to do what we couldn't do in our sin, and that is do good. So that's how it works, right? <clears throat> a, a hammer hammers. Because that's what it was made to do. A Christian does good works. Because that's what we were remade to do. That's what we were recreated to do. A hammer that doesn't hammer isn't a hammer. So the faith works distinction is clear. Works don't save, works can't save. But when grace and faith have come, there you'll see a person doing good works. Because they have been remade in the image of God. So as we think about this, as followers of Christ, um, covenanted together under the lordship of Christ... The question we want to ask is, do our lives, do our lives prove us to be new creatures in Christ? You know, are our lives characterized by Christian activity, Christian behavior, Christian doing tangible acts of good for other people? How do our lives actually show the lost world that the grace and faith have entered into our hearts? That's what we're called to as Christians. If if you were arrested for being a Christian, would there be enough evidence to convict you? 
How does the world know that Jesus has made a difference in our lives? This has been the call of, of God upon the church for the last 2,000 years, to demonstrate grace and faith by doing good, by living lives that have the aroma of heaven, because heaven has already entered into our hearts. So what does faith do? Faith works. Faith works. So number one, what is faith? Number two, what does faith do? And then finally, number three, what does faith profit? What does faith profit? That's a little KJV way of speaking there. Uh, But it should be clear, right? What are the benefits of faith? What are the privileges and blessings that faith affords? We've already talked about some, but I'm just going to talk about um, a couple more here. Number one, the first and most important profit of faith, benefit of faith, is that faith saves Faith saves, for by grace you have been saved through faith. Salvation is a gift. It's a gift of God. This should give hope to everybody. There's two, there's, there's basically two kinds of people. Uh, There's two kinds of lost people, I should say. There's the kind that says, I don't, I don't really think I'm that bad of a person, so I'm not sure why I need saving. Then there's another kind of person that says, I've done so many things in my past, I don't think God can save me. If you're in that first state, that's a dangerous place to be. And I pray that God would just help you look into your soul and just deep down confirm in your heart what deep down you know is true is that even your own conscience bears witness against you that you know what's right to do and don't do it. And we do need Jesus, all of us. If you're in the second camp, I got good news for you. Salvation is a gift, which means that no matter what you've done and no matter how long you've done it, you haven't put yourself outside of God's saving power. Because God's salvation doesn't depend on your goodness, but on God's goodness. That's how it works. You ever, you ever seen someone receive a, a gift or an honor or something, and in the back of your mind you're thinking, there was someone else that probably should have got that. Well, that may be true. But that misses the point, because the point of the gift, the point of a gift, right, is that the gift says nothing. If it's a true gift, a true gift, unwarranted, unmerited gift, if it's a true gift, the gift says nothing about the receiver. It says everything about the giver. If God wants to show mercy to that liar over there. Are you going to get mad at God about that? If God wants to forgive that adulterer over there, you going to get mad at God because he's so generous? If God wants to save a murderer over there, are you going to say, God, you can't do that? Jesus told a parable about that. Are we going to get mad at God because he's kind to undeserving people? You better look in the mirror and realize which camp you're in. If you want God's mercy, you better be okay with lots of other people getting it too. 
Because salvation is a gift, no one's out of reach, right? Only one person in heaven deserves to be there. And that's, by the way, why heaven is such a great place. Why it will be such a great place. Because it'll be full of people who, deep down in their hearts, they know, I shouldn't even be here. This is unbelievable. Why am I even here? But here I am. That's the that's that's kind of place I want to be. It's unbelievable. They're in the presence of God when they should be in hell. That's what God does because it's a gift of grace through faith in Jesus Christ. So faith says, Romans 5.1, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, not by works, by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through Him, we also have obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Look, if my salvation depended on me, I'd be ruined. And I'd be miserable. Because I'd spend my whole life knowing there's no way this is going to happen. But if it's a gift of God that you don't deserve, you can actually have confidence that, hey, it's not, it's not because of me, it's because of God. And you can have assurance and peace and hope, as Paul says, Rejoice in the hope of the glory of God because we're justified by faith, not by works. Number one, faith saves. Number two, faith accesses God's power. This is the final thing we're going to talk about this morning. Faith accesses God's power. What do I mean? Well, one example would be the case of the demon-possessed boy uh, when Jesus was coming down from the Mount of Transfiguration. In Matthew 17, it says... uh, Verse 18, it says, And Jesus rebuked the demon, and it came out of him, and the boy was healed instantly. And the disciples came to Jesus privately and said, Why could we not cast it out? And he said to them, Because of your little faith. For truly I say to you, if you have faith like a grain of mustard seed, you'll say to this mountain, Move from here to there, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible for you. So there is a principle that runs throughout the entirety of Scripture. And the principle is that God acts for those who believe that he is able and willing to do what he says he's going to do. This truth is epitomized in Hebrews chapter 11 in the hall of faith. Just a little excerpt there from Hebrews 11 verse 32. He says, what more shall I say? For time will fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, of David and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms and forced justice, attained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight, women received back their dead by resurrection. Some were tortured, refusing accept, to accept release so that they may rise again to a better life. This is the principle of faith. Not that God is a genie and that if we rub rub the lamp the right way, we get whatever we want. Rather, it's trusting in God such that we hear Him, we listen to Him, we follow Him, knowing that when He calls us into situations that are completely over our head, He's got a reason and a purpose for it. And that he's going to act for the glory of his name's sake. 
and that He is, in fact, going to call us into those kinds of situations to do what only He can do for His glory. So by faith, Noah built a boat. By faith, Joshua walked around walls, and God tore them down. Moses led the people of Israel out into the wilderness, uh, and he led them right up to, you know, this the Red Sea. You know, and so like, tactically speaking, putting your back up against the ocean isn't a great military strategy. But literally, that's the point. You understand that, right? That's literally the point. God led them there so that when Egypt would come, God would do the fighting. Not them. So when he told Moses, Moses, raise up your staff. And Moses raised up his staff. Literally, the sea parted in two and they walked through on dry ground. God made a way when there was no way and he did it in such a way that only he could get the glory for it. So that when Egypt tried to go through, the water came back down and it wiped them out. Because God put them between an army and a hard place so that he could deliver them, so that he could get the glory. And so maybe if you're between a rock and a hard place in your life, maybe it's not, maybe it's not, you know, maybe it's not a sign that you're not where you should be. Maybe it's the sign that you're exactly where you're supposed to be. And that God is wanting to show up through faith. By faith, Peter stepped out of the boat. <clears throat> and, not, and, and by the way, I was listening to a sermon this week. By the way, faith means trusting God regardless of the outcomes. Because notice there what we read in Hebrews 11, right? We, we like to read the part about they... Uh, Obtained promises, conquered kingdoms, stopped the mouths of lions, escaped the sword. But then we kind of want to forget the part where it says some were tortured, refusing to accept release. Well, guess what? They did that by faith, too. So deliverance for you might not mean happy, happily ever after in this life. It may mean happily ever after in the next life. Does that mean God didn't show up? No. It means he showed up exactly where he wanted to. Exactly how he wanted to. Some were tortured, refusing to accept release so that they may rise again to a better life. It pleases God to respond to faith. Why? Because faith is total reliance on him. And when, and God, God, he's thrilled when his children totally rely on him. Just trust me, child. Just trust me. It's the posture that says, I can't, but God can. It's faith that gives, gets, gives God all the glory. So what does faith profit? It profits everything. It profits our eternal salvation. It's access to all of God's power to do great things and to endure great suffering. To see God do what only he can do. Faith, hope, and love abide these three. So let's be a church that walks by faith and not by sight. Because the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. There's a lot bigger things going on in this world than what we can just see with our eyes.
So we walk by faith and not by sight. We hope not what we hope not in what we can see. But we hope in what we can't see. Our perspective is very limited. But God can do a lot with a little. If we'll trust him with it. So I'm hopeful. I'm hopeful for the future as we walk by faith. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for this morning. Thank you for the opportunity to be here. I thank you for the opportunity to preach your word this morning. Lord, I think of the disciples' desperate plea. Lord, increase our faith. And Lord, I think we, we all, with one, with one heart and soul and voice, could cry out this morning to you. Lord, increase our faith. Help us, God, to see. <laughs> Lord, like, um, like that young man who was with Elisha, and they were surrounded by an army, And Elisha prayed, Lord, open this young man's eyes to see that those who are with us are more than those who are against us. And you opened his eyes to see. Open our eyes to see, Lord, that uh, though we might look out at the world or watch the news and it seems like everyone's against us, the truth is, is there are more who are for us than against us. Armies of angels are there attending us as we seek, God, to build your kingdom. So help us, God, to be faithful, to look up at the stars and believe, Lord, that we could have offspring, multitudes of lost people here in Dodge County becoming children of the Most High God. Help us, God, to do that. We love you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.